Most scholars believe he was about 27 to 30 years old. At that time, he needed to get a crew together. By a crew, these people were going to be influencers. They were going to be uh, life changers. They were going to uh, be foundation builders. Uh, the people that he grabbed were, were men. They were from the ages of probably about 15 to as old as probably 26 or maybe even his age. Now, the whole purpose of, of his life was to die. And at the age of around 30, 33, he took the cross and he gave his life so that we could have life. And as a result, what happened was his legacy was left. And that legacy was left through those 12 disciples, those 12 men who followed Jesus Christ. For see, they found themselves at a crossroads. In fact, they found themselves at the cross. And it was Tuesday night at camp that our students found themselves laying before the cross. And it was that night that was really the turning point in many of their, their lives as they looked upon and they realized the sacrifice that God laid for them. And as a result, we must lay back for him. Those 12 men laid the foundation of the church. In fact, they all were willing to give their life so that the church could continue to go forward. And if it was not for those men, and if it were not for that cross, and if it were not for walking away three days after, out of the tomb, defeating the grave, we would not be here today. For in fact, if all of that stuff was not true, then there's no reason for us to be here today. So what do we do with our lives? Where do we go from here? We've come back from a great week. We've come back from this, this great experience Many of you have had a spiritual change in your life where you met Jesus Christ at the cross for the first time. Others of you are battling this emotional experience. You went up there, you were surrounded by other people who are giving their life to Christ. Two weeks later, you come back home, you're back to the swing of things, and then boom, it's gone. And you realize in that moment what I had was this emotional experience. I got caught up into the emotions. It's no different than going to a concert. It's no different than going to, to a sporting event. And you go in there and you get caught up into the emotions of that event. But there are many of you today who sat here as I talked to you about baptism, displaying the promise of Christ in your life, and you are going to move forward and are going to be willing to give your life as those 12 men did for God. But see, the challenge today isn't just for them because today is a very special day. For see, today is a day of one of the greatest influencers in all of history. And those are fathers. Those are dads. But for those who aren't even fathers today, the challenge is for men to really ask yourself, what legacy are you willing to leave? What legacy are you wanting to leave? And I want you to really look at your life and think to yourself, what legacy am I leaving right now? If I were to die right now, what legacy would have been left? And what life would have been lived? And what would people remember about me? What would be talked about? For see, I want you to realize this thing, and if you have a pen, I want you to write it down. The decisions you make will influence the legacy you leave. The decisions, dads, that you make will influence the legacy you leave for your wife, for your kids, for all you have influenced. For see, we are all going to influence somebody in some way. But what way are we going to influence? So what do we do? How do we live? What are we supposed to do from here? Jesus lays it out in two very simple ways as he speaks on the Sermon on the Mount. 
One of his most profound sermons, as he says these words, I'll read them to you, starting in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13, or verse 13. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Men, students, everyone here today, the first thing that you've got to realize is to leave a legacy, you've got to live it. And the first thing that we must do is to live a legacy of salt. It was fun at camp asking students about salt and and what it's good for and hearing their reaction, hearing some of the things. And there's two things that I really wanted to write down and three according to this passage that we must examine. And the first thing that we must see about salt is if you have a pen, I want you to write this down, is one, salt reveals Salt reveals. What does this mean? Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 lays it out for us, talking about the Word of God. It says, For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. When we read the Word of God, it reveals things about our own life, ways that we must live, things we must do to follow Christ. Too often we read it and it just becomes another book. It's no different than Harry Potter or any other book that you've ever read and you're trying to to just read. But when we really examine the Word of God the way that it is intended to, is it is a breathing Word of God, is it an active Word of God, and it is a Word of God that penetrates our soul and shows us and reveals to us things that we might not even know we were dealing with, going through, or even had in our life. A couple years ago, I got to go to the Dead Sea. One of the things that's interesting about it is it's the lowest point on earth. Now, inside the Dead Sea is more salt than any other sea on the earth. And so it's so dense that when you sit in, you just naturally float. Now, one of the things that they tell you not to do is don't rub your eyes, don't open them. I made that mistake. It hurt. And one of the things about that, though, is as I was sitting in the Dead Sea, I realized that parts of my body were starting to feel kind of uncomfortable. I got out, and I'm starting to walk around. And next thing I realized, I'm starting to walk a little bit like this. I go and I look underneath my arms, and they are beet red dry. Because what happened was salt revealed open pores on my body that I did not know that I had until I sat inside of it, and it showed me how I really need to change my deodorant. And so... And so that's what it did. But here's the thing that we realize is when we look at that, we realize that salt brings spiritual stability. It brings spiritual accountability. But the other thing that it brings is spiritual community. Spiritual stability, accountability, and community. And we look at all of those things, and as we allow God's Word to reveal things in our life, that is what happens as a result. And it is a beautiful thing that can only be orchestrated by God. It cannot be orchestrated by man. But what it takes from us is a decision. It takes from us either following Christ or following ourselves. And so the second thing we see about salt is that salt preserves. Jude chapter 1, verses 17 through 21 say the following. It says, But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts 
and do not have the Spirit. I want you to put your finger down on that verse if you have your Bible open. We're going to come back to that. Verse 20 will continue. It says, But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. If you have a pen and you have your Bible, I want you to circle natural instincts. And I want you to circle the word keep. Because those two words show us the parallel that is going on in the Scripture. They show us the battle that we face each and every day. I think too often in our life we give Satan too much credit. Now, don't get me wrong. He was the influencer of all sin. He was the influencer of all evil. But the thing is, is as a result of sin entering the world, we battle this thing called flesh. And as a result, we have desires that are not desires according to God, according to Scripture. And the thing is, if we really understand God, and the Scripture says that He is good, and it talks about His will as being pleasing and perfect, then we know that we must trust in Him, in faith, and giving Him those things of our life, knowing that He knows the desires that we don't even know we have. God knows our potential. In fact, He gives potential. We don't even understand potential until we know God. And so God gives us meaning. He is meaning. And He gives us the desires of our heart. So our battle here, as we look in verse 19, it talks about natural instincts. That word is translated flesh. So we see that there is one way that shows us, that divides us from Christ. It is our flesh. It is our natural instincts. The ways that we we, we toil with and want to follow. But here's the thing in verse 21. That word keep is translated preserve. Just like salt preserves meat. So Christ preserves our life. The scripture says that nothing separates us from the love of God. And so when we give ourselves to Christ, he preserves us. One thing that's interesting, if you know anything about about, uh, cooking meat or if any of you uh, work in that industry, you are probably familiar with the term salt curing. Now, what's interesting is there are different proteins inside of meat, and there's these different molecules. Now, when you put the salt, which actually use table salt, when you put that salt on the meat and you just you grind it in there, what it does is when you cook the meat, it brings those proteins up to the top, and those proteins are what actually hold the meat together. And it keeps it from falling apart, and it allows us to have a, 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 a better taste for our meal. You know, it's very interesting because there's actually a protein in our our body. It's called laminin. And what's interesting is is it is what holds us together. It is is the, the molecule that keeps everything in our body from falling apart. And what's interesting is if you look at laminin on a microscope, it is the form of a cross. It is the form of a cross. So when we allow our life to be preserved by salt, we are allowing God to preserve us. We are allowing Christ to hold us. Listen to what Colossians 1.17 says. It says, And He is before all things, talking about Jesus. And in Him all things hold together. We are preserved by the cross of Christ. And it is only when we fall before the cross and allow Christ to give us that meaning, to give us that purpose that He has in store for us, it is only in that moment that we will truly find life. And that is the foundation, fathers, which we are supposed to build our families. It is that foundation which we are supposed to put every principle, every decision, everything that we do should be based on the position of the cross of Jesus Christ. And from there we go forward and from there we build up and from there we watch our families multiply and be fruitful and we see Christ alive inside of our homes. But the other thing that we see in this passage is exposed salt is worthless. 
So we see what happens when we give in to the battle of sin. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. What's interesting is salt produced by the evaporation of seawater in hot countries is said sometimes to lose its saline properties. Now what happens is as a result, it turns into this rock salt. And if you've ever gone to the Dead Sea, you see these pillars of rock salt that have gotten into the air. And what happens is when the air uh, gets in there, messes it up, it builds these rock salt um, pillars. And what they do with those is they take those pillars, and that is what is used in cold countries where there's snow, and they put it on the streets to dissolve the snow. And so what's interesting is it tells us when we are exposed to the air, when we are exposed to our own desires, when we fulfill those own desires, when we follow the flesh, what happens is we become that pillar worth nothing. And all we are good for is trampled underfoot. But what's interesting in that is God still gives grace in that picture. Because even though that salt is not used for something great, it is still used for something And so that lets you know that God always gives you a way out. And God can always heal you. He can always save you. And it is not too late. Romans 12 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. At that crossroads, men, at that crossroads, student, at that crossroads, ladies, We see ourselves going one way or the other. And we see that God gives us an out. And he tells us that we are to be transformed. That word transformed in the Greek means metamorpho. That means to change into another form. That miracle only comes through Christ. Listen to what the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. It is a picture of God coming in, changing us, and all of a sudden everything is new. You saw a beautiful picture of it displayed here today as we looked at baptism, as we saw God changing the students' lives. And so I tell you, fathers, I tell you, students, I tell you, ladies and everyone in here who is listening today, it is not too late. And the beauty is God says His mercies are new every day. And when we live in this way, we find conviction. We find preservation. And through those things, we see restoration. Because only God can restore us. And only God can point us in that direction. The other thing we see in this passage is that we are to live a legacy of light. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. What we've got to realize is when we allow God to transform us, when we allow Him to penetrate our soul as salt, and we act on His convictions, and we follow His way, we see that all of a sudden we are different, and now we have to look at ourselves as being light. Whose light? God's light for others to see. Ephesians 5.8 says, For you were once darkness, but now you are the light of the Lord. Live as children of light. Philippians 2.15 and 16 says, So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Listen to this. This tells us, Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky 
as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. What do we see about light in this passage? I think the first thing that we see is that light reveals. Light reveals. What does it reveal? It reveals the things that need to be worked on. Man, when we live as light in our family, we realize the influence we have. And we see the things that need to be worked on. And the thing is, is that we ourselves have to work on it in our own life, setting that example for our children, setting that example for our coworkers and all that we come in contact with. But one thing is I look at light revealing, I think of one thing, I think of a great coach. Because see, a great coach can get the best out of his players. My granddaddy, when I was a freshman in high school, he came and, and he helped us with our JV baseball team. Now, one of the things that, that we, well, one of the guys on our team, I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you, he couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. I mean, he was awful. And I don't know why he was on the team, but as a result, a lot of the guys who are good, they ended up picking on him. And I, I didn't like that, that too much. But what was interesting is one day we were going out to take infield, and we were about to take live batting practice. My granddaddy asked the coach, he said, can I take him and work with him for about 15 minutes? He took him into the cage, worked with him for about 15 minutes. This kid who could never hit anything goes out, takes live BP. That guy missed one ball the whole time, hit straight line drives. See, a good coach, a good leader gets the best out of their players, gets the best out of their family, gets the best out of their coworkers because they know that foundation and they know the direction which they are going. But the other thing that we see is that light magnifies it magnifies. What does that mean? I don't know if you're familiar with the Hubble telescope. It's a telescope that NASA sent out into outer space to take pictures of, of stars that are bigger than the sun, to take pictures of different galaxies, different solar systems, way outside of the Milky Way. Now, what's interesting about that is when we look at light being magnified, it is taking something that is so glorious, something that is so magnificent, and it is allowing us to have a taste of that glory. It's allowing us to have a taste of that magnificence. Do you realize, church, do you realize, fathers, that when you live your life as light for Christ, you are taking the absolute glory of God and the miracle of the Holy Spirit living within us, transforming us, and we are magnifying God's glory for all else to see in our life, just as that Hubble telescope magnified these great solar systems so that we can grasp them just a little bit. Because we will never fulfill and see the full glory of God until we set foot in His kingdom and on His throne. But it is our duty to allow Him to be magnified in our life. Fathers, to set that example, to walk on that path. And so we live our life in a way where God is magnified through us. So how do we do that? What are we supposed to do? Men, what should we lay as the foundation for hope in our families? And Jesus says it in Matthew 22, verses 37 and 39, when he says these words, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbors as yourself. Men, today is the day to step up. Today is the day to rise to action. Today is the day to start anew and to love the Lord your God with every ounce of breath inside your body. To love Him with every being that you are. To quit being apathetic and to get up and to do something about it. 
and to open this word and allow it to influence your life and to quit just letting your kids rule your home and you yourself set the example and be the light and allow Christ to be magnified through you. Because if it is not for you, then families will fall apart. And we need more fathers who are going to stand bold on the principles of loving the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength. And when we do that, there is a miracle that takes place inside of us and we begin to love others. Because we don't love others on our own fleshly desires. You know who we love? We love ourselves. But God says that is not how it's supposed to be. I have laid it out for you. And so you must follow that way because his way is best. You might have heard the phrase, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. When I was a kid, the person I wanted to be like was my dad. I'd go into his closet, I'd get his ties. In fact, we've got home videos of it. And I'd, I'd put the ties on, I'd, I'd put on his shoes, and I'd just walk behind him. And I'd do everything that he does. And the irony now is that um, a lot of people say, you act just like your father. I don't know if to take that as a compliment now or not. But we, but we, you know, it is something that we have characteristics. And I look at these kids, and it's so funny, as I get to know the parents, that's one thing I love is I get to know the parents and I see how you're starting to, to look like your parents. And some of you are thinking, oh, my goodness. But some of you are starting to look like your parents, but others of you act like them. You, you act like them. Little phrases that you say is just like your mom and dad. And what's so funny is talking to a parent and they sit there and they, they talk about, I can't believe they're doing that. And I just want to be like, ho, oh, oh, ho, oh. you know, and, and, and let them know that is you. That is you. But the thing is, with that, we have got to set an example. And dads, let me tell you something. There is an example that you have got to set for your family. Because here's the thing. Let me tell you this. Moms, you are absolutely amazing. God has given you a compassion, has given you a love of nurturing. That fathers won't understand that I won't understand. But let me tell you this. The leaders are the fathers. And there's an example that the fathers must set that can change the life of these kids. Lee Strobel, he's a, he's, he worked for the Chicago Tribune. You might have read some of his books, the Case for Christ series. I watched a study last night on him, and it was very interesting seeing his life. See, he was a skeptic. He didn't believe that God existed. He, he proclaimed to be an atheist, and so as a result, he, he called some great scholars all around the world to try to prove the existence of God uh, wrong, to prove that, that he did not exist. Well, through this process, they ended up going to a church up in Chicago, and his wife became a Christian. She had been a Christian for several years, and it wasn't until along this journey, several years into this journey, that, that Lee Strobel realized that as he laid out the evidence, he realized that it all points towards truth. It all points towards Christ. It all, it all points towards accuracy. And he said in that moment he had to make a decision, and he gave his life to Christ. Now, what's interesting about this story is they had a five-year-old little girl. Keep in mind, Mom had been a Christian for all these years. But it wasn't until Dad gave his life to Christ that when she went to Sunday school that week, she looked at her leader in the eye. She said, I want what my daddy has. I want what my daddy has. And she gave her life to Christ. 
Man, you don't realize the influence you have. You don't realize the impact you have. The scripture tells us that we are to be imitators of God as beloved children. Men, we are to imitate Christ. And we are to set that foundation as salt and as light for our homes so that we live for Christ. What legacy are you living? And what legacy are you leaving for your family, for your children, for your home? Let it start today. Let it start now. And allow God to move you to bring Christ into your life.